This is the Pro Channel Manager Podcast, episode number 21. This is where your ice cream comes from. The creamy poop of a mystic unicorn. You're listening to the Pro Channel Manager Podcast, the only podcast in the world that shows you how to run a YouTube channel just like the pros. And here's your host. He's grown multiple YouTube channels by millions of subscribers and billions of views. And even though he speaks funny, we promise you he is speaking English, Tom Martin. That Easter egg today comes from a very, very famous advert. No doubt you've seen it. But I wonder if you knew that today's guest was actually one of the masterminds behind it. Bit of a mystery, bit of a teaser there. We've got a very special episode today because I'm actually going to share with you a very, very special live event that we held exclusively last week for members of the Pro Channel Manager community. But I'm going to share that with you today because it's just so special. It's such a big event. It was such an amazing session. And I also wanted to give you just a little sneak peek of what goes on inside the Pro Channel Manager community in case you were curious. Before we can dive into today's very special episode, I want to say a special thank you to our special sponsor, and that is vidIQ. So here is a quick word from them. vidIQ is the secret weapon for every professional YouTube channel manager. Why? Because it has all of the amazing workflow and efficiency tools that you need to save you time and effort, but there's more. It also has the most advanced YouTube SEO tools in the world including an absolutely incredible keyword research tool that I use on every single video that I publish. I've been using vidIQ since way back in 2013, and without it, I simply would not have been able to generate the billions of YouTube views that I have. That's just a fact. So if you want to get Ninja and start using the tools that the pros use, check out prochannelmanager.com forward slash vidIQ to get a free 30-day trial of one of their awesome paid plans. And you can thank me later. So as I said, this was a live recording that we did on video last week inside the Pro Channel Manager community. And you can find out all about the community. We have monthly office hours, monthly trainings, special guests, the likes of, yes, today's guest, Daryl Eves, who came and spoke to us last week. He was so generous with his time answering our questions. Uh, Also spoke about his book, his incredible, incredible book, that at the time of recording this comes out in just a few weeks on the 20th of April here in the UK, already available to you lucky, lucky listeners over in the States and other places around the world. So yeah, this is a little bit different. This is not a traditional interview recorded specially for the podcast. This is an audio from the video session we held inside the Pro Channel Manager for an exclusive listener Q&A. And if you would like to get exclusive access to people like Daryl, to people like me, our other trainers, and our incredible, incredible set of members. You can check that out at prochannelmanager.com. And when you sign up to our community, you can get an exclusive discount by entering the promo code podcast. That's the word podcast at checkout. Without further ado, though, here's that very, very special interview and Q&A session with the one, the only, YouTube legend, Daryl Eves. A huge thanks to Daryl for taking his time out. A very busy schedule. I always say that I'm like a busy man, but Daryl puts me, and I think everyone probably on the entire planet, to shame because 
not only is he out there launching books, running top secret YouTube channels, running around the world with Mr. Beast, he's also running an agency and his own YouTube channel and all sorts. Um, also, before we get started, I actually wanted to say a personal and very public thank you uh, to Daryl because a few years ago, as I kind of took my first steps of being kind of self-employed, just before I left, actually, Daryl called me up in the middle of, of nowhere and said, Tom, I'd like you to come and, and speak at my event in LA Vid Summit. This was back in 2018, I think it must have been. And uh, that was a, a, a real privilege for me. And I know that not a lot of people uh, from the state, uh, from, the, from the UK get invited to go and speak. And uh, that was a real watershed moment for me actually presenting at that, at that VidCon and um, totally exploded my kind of career and my business. Luke smiling. I remember seeing Luke there at the time he had hair then. And, um, you know, getting to speak at uh, other, other vid, uh, sorry, vid summits in the future. And yeah, it's just been a real career platform for me, Daryl. So uh, I just wanted to say a, a personal thank you to you yeah, before you. we get started. Well, Daryl really needs no introduction, but I think the biggest compliment I can pay Daryl is there are a lot of people that give YouTube advice and I listen to almost none of them. But when Daryl speaks, I sit up and I listen and I take notice to what he says because Daryl practices what he preaches. He's running a whole host of YouTube channels that you've never heard of, along with the ones that you have heard of. Of course, he's got his new book out, the YouTube formula, available in the US, soon to be available in the UK. But I wanted to go back a bit further than that before we get started talking about the book, Daryl, is you know, a lot of people know who you are now and they know you from your channel and from vid summit and talking at vidcon and social media marketing world and all that but i don't think a lot of people know the kind of batman origin story of daryl eaves and how he first got started on youtube and i get so bored of people's origin stories but to me this is different because you're like the the og you're the, one of the original gangsters godfathers of youtube so i'd love to know how you kind of got your start in all of this and what what was your i'll be ruining the book i mean that's my introduction (laughs) to the book i mean (laughs) well we haven't got it in the uk yet so okay okay there's no way i could have known that no no, for sure um and first off thank you um you know for me it doesn't matter if i'm you know doing it to one person or a million um you know i love learning from people and um that's kind of the essence of why i do what i do is I, i think these types of interactions and, and when you're looking to be open to receive, you can learn. So the reason why I invited you, Tom, to speak at VidSummit was I wanted to learn from you. And uh, yours was the best presentation from my perspective of, of 2018. And so you had a hard, hard thing because you had early morning, eight o'clock, uh, you filled the room. Uh, but for me, I couldn't make it. I, I was putting on the event. And so, you know, going back and seeing the details, I, I just love it. Now, there's several approaches of how you handle YouTube, but where my journey started was I um, was a very ambitious person. Um, I've always been ambitious. I always set goals. I'm a goal setter. And when I got home, I, I actually volunteered for my church uh, for two years in the middle of South America in a, a country called Paraguay, got home, started to date and met my wife. And When I met my wife, I realized, oh, I need to provide. And so it might be good if I go get a degree. And for me, I was always an active learner. 
I always love learning, but I couldn't conform to the teacher-student relationship. I, I, I conform better to a mentor-mentee mm-hmm. relationship. And it was always hard for me. And it was just the way that it was presented. It was very difficult. And I had a um, pretty interesting time in high school and elementary school and so on. And so my whole goal was, how can I get done as fast as I possibly can? Because they're never going to teach me anything I need to know. Like they'll give me stuff that I just don't need to understand. And this is no exaggeration. I got a four-year degree in two and a half years. And I clipped out of every class that could possibly clip out. And um, the ones that I was interested in was marketing. I didn't try to clip out any of those because I did get my degree in marketing. But I tried to figure out how do I do it? So I speak a couple languages. And so I'm like, okay, my minor is going to be Spanish. That's 23 credits I can get out of it. My senior year, I was able to talk to the department head. And I'm like, hey, I really need a good job. I really want to create um, ads. Uh, I love ads. I'm obsessed with them. But I don't want to move to Chicago. I don't want to move to New York. I don't want to move to LA. And she goes, well, have you ever thought of another career you know, opportunity? Because there's like no really big ad agencies here in the area that you can even learn from. And I says, no. She goes, well, let me put you into this regional hospital as an intern. And so I went to the regional hospital as an intern and um, my eyes were open and I thought, okay, they make pretty decent money um, for the, the hospital administrator. That's my new path. And so I graduated um, with honors, mind you, and I got accepted into the master's program for hospital administration, get an MBA, master's of business, and then hospital administration. And that was going to be my path. And the internship turned into a full-time job for me. And I'm a little different when growing up, I could do programming, but I could also design. And um, this is way back in 1998, where I was doing their corporate website and doing their publications. They had 16 publications that I would lay out and do and, and, you know, saved them a ton of money. And my position, I was able to save the company $865,000 just for me being there for five months. For me, uh, my internship, I was able to do all the, the summer internship in, in two days of what they had the interns do, you know, last couple of years. And I just don't like to waste time. And so I went to talk to the CFO. This is my boss's boss. And I sat down with him and I says, hey, you know, I really love working here. You know, I'm really excited to be here. And, you know, I just was hoping if you had some time, like, come in, we were just talking about you, Daryl. You're just uh, killing it here. We're just really grateful. And I basically asked for a $10,000 a year raise. Okay, that's not very much, but I had a brand new baby and I was a new father and I had to provide and I needed an extra $1,000 a month. And I thought in my mind, the way that I thought $865,000 saving them, it could equate to just $10,000 in one year, right? Because I know it'd probably be, 2 million or something by the time that I, um, you know, do a full year that I'm able to generate for the company or save the company. And so I I said, Hey, and, and I was ready to pitch. And that's when the CEO came in. Now this is the guy that wanted his job and like, I was going to go to school for it. This is stuff. It'd be well over a million dollars a year. He's like, Oh, Daryl, we were just talking about you. Just really excited to have you on board. And, um, and we're really excited. And I says, well, it's great that you're both here. You know, first off, I love working here, you know, and I'd like a $10,000 a year raise. 
uh, I was able to justify it by doing these things and to save a ton of money. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Hold up now. He goes, um, you'd be making more than your appropriate supervisor. And we can't do that. Like, that's just not in the position. I'm like, but I saved, you know, $865,000 just in a few months. Just imagine what I can do when you really unleash me. I mean, this is the motivation. And they're like, no, it's not going to happen. And the CFO tur- uh, turns to the CEO and says, well, we were just talking about, we could see you running this hospital. I'm, Perfect. That's what I want to do. Yeah, we could see that happen in about 15 to 18 years. I'm like, 15 to 18 years, I think I could do it in five. Yeah. And, and I, I just knew I was done. I literally hit my block. And I know you're probably thinking, what does this have to do with YouTube? <laughs> but it'll tell you everything. Because I call up my wife. I says, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. She goes, I love you. You know, we have a baby, but I'll support you with whatever you want to do. And, you know, push come to shove. I had some amazing job offers. And some of them were really, really great money. But I didn't want to move from where I lived. I really love where I live. I love being neighbors with my my parents. I love my. I wanted my kids to have their best friends be their cousins. So that family is like the most important thing mm-hmm. for me. And so ended up starting my own business. And I, I basically um, bought the latest and greatest computers and put it on the kitchen table. And my wife's like, "Okay, you know, we're going to have some problems here because the kitchen table is not your workstation. You need to figure this out." So I went down to Staples and, you know, was going to go pick up a desk because that's what you do when you get kicked off the, you know, the kitchen table and you need to go from there. And we're not talking, we had laptops back then. We get big old sinking CTR, you know, monitors and stuff like that. But that was kind of the essence of how it started. And I was in Staples and I'm like, okay, I'm starting a business. I had no clients. I needed a desk. I got all the stuff done, my website, everything done. I'm ready to go out and get business. And this guy goes, excuse me, sir, tell me, um, what's the difference between this printer and this printer? I'm a techno geek. I, I literally know the, the specs on the printers because I wanted one. I just couldn't afford one. I couldn't convince my partner, my wife, to, you know, for us to shell out any more money and take more credit debt. You know what I'm saying? And I says, well, okay, th- this one is cheaper, but if you buy this one, over time with the the cost of toner and the yields of toner, uh, this is the better deal because you can get a lot more out of the machine. He goes, man, you're the best Staples employee that I've ever met. And I'm like, I, I don't work for Staples. He goes, he looks at me and I'm wearing a red polo shirt and khaki pants. He says, are you sure? <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So that's where it started. And I turned to him and he says, what do you do? And I says, I do marketing, website design, you know, whatever. He says, great. You do graphic design. And he goes, I need someone to do business cards. And I went out of Staples with my first client and uh, a desk. And I was net positive uh, because I had a check for $300. You know, I was net positive $100. And so I'm like, this is going to be the easiest thing in the history of all mankind. And that's where it all developed. And I won't go into the the journey of the whole aspect of it because I I don't think it's uh, relevant. But Taking that first step is relevant. And sometimes it's scary when you have your life and, you know, you, you go from there. And some people won't feel comfortable jumping into it like I did. And I understand that. But you, there's going to be a point and a moment that you have to go all in. And that was the moment I went all in. And it was scary. And I, I learned really quickly to be successful at any business, regardless if it's YouTube or not. You need to have money you can count on. Because if I wasn't out selling 
then I would never have money come in to fulfill, like to provide for my needs. So we had ups and downs and sideways and ins and outs. And it wasn't until I realized, hey, what could I do to get, you know, residual income and, you know, ways to do it. So I I was doing uh, business cards for this company called 1001 Business Cards, the guy that I met in Staples. And I'm like, well, let me just talk to this guy. So I says, hey, what would you do if, if I just delivered the business cards to the people? And he goes, that, that's great. Okay, foot in the door. Perfect. I says, I'm going to sell them on a website and I'm going to give you 10% just because you've done it. And he goes, okay, that's great. And so every person I went into, sold them a website. Guess what? They needed hosting. I owned a hosting company. They needed marketing of that website. Guess what? I started marketing and I had a, an amazing business. And I started to build and started to scale and started to bring other people on to fulfill And that's kind of where it all started. And we were able to grow it. I had about 850 uh, clients that we were able to do websites for that we were ranking, you know, in Google. And we got very, really good at that type of marketing. Because I'm just, like I said, I'm a techno geek when it comes to that type of algorithm stuff. And back in 1999, it was called spam. I was really good at that. Because I could (laughs) spam, I could spam the best code out there. Anyway, fast forward a few years and things are being solidified. I'm getting bored at that time. Um, and for me to be bored, is not a good thing. Um, it's just too easy, you know, um, to, to do this. And I need a challenge. I always just need that challenge. And so we were expanding the business and I went on to Craigslist because that's what you do when you're too cheap to go to Staples to buy a desk and you need a desk for a new employee. And so I went on to Craigslist because I needed that free desk. And you know, I've been around the box a few times. Why do I need to spend $300 when I can get some five bucks, you know, that type of mentality. And I saw an ad there for uh, a brand new website called YouTube. And if you would go, this is in uh, October of 2005. If you go, Steve Jobs just introduced a new iPod that you could be entering to win if you can get enough people to sign up. And I went to YouTube and my jaw figuratively hit the ground. It, it just like, I was like blown away because that was the first time I saw a video that you could hit play and it didn't have the dreaded buffer to play all the way to the end before you go. And I'm like, this is amazing. And then two, the deal siller for me was you can embed these videos on websites. And the thing that went through my mind, upsell, baby, I could literally upsell all my clients, 850 of them to have a video on their website. Like, why would you want to do that? And then I, I love video. I love, I'm passionate about video. I could just never do it, right? And so this is October, 2005. And for a year and a half, I was selling all 850 uh, clients to get the video on their website. And these are doctors, dentists, lawyers, pest control companies, all the different people out there that we were doing websites for. And it was like amazing. And it was like getting great results. People were getting the phone to ring you know, because it was like more actionable on a website. It was just really groundbreaking. And then a big issue happened. Google purchased YouTube back in 2006 for $1.65 billion. And 2007, right when we get done, they decided to bring YouTube into the Google ecosystem. And all those videos started to show up on the first page of Google. And this is where it, it transformed for me. I'm like, here I am fighting with Matt Cuts to stay on a website to get to the top of Google versus all I did is give a good title, a descriptive title and a little bit of a description. And all that work 
that I did to get that website there and all that work I didn't do to get that video there. Hey, I, why, why shouldn't I do that? You know? And so I decided, and this is the biggest pivot point for me in my career is I sold off my web design, web development company and the hosting aspect of it as well. And I went 100% in ranking videos because I saw that as the future. It was the easy, easiest thing to do is to rank videos on Google. And so it was very disruptive at the time. Nobody was doing it. And I got really good at seeing what people would respond to uh, with video. And I got really good at understanding messaging. And it's something that I've always been passionate as a young kid. It was just starting to come together. And so I'm like, okay, it's about people and let's figure out what it, what it takes. Now, I believe in a mantra of why make it harder than what it really is. And I think a lot of us do that, whether in business or in life or in relationships, we try to make it harder than what it truly is. And so I stripped away all the challenges and I says, if I could just knock something out of the park for a personal injury attorney, they can spend thousands of dollars for leads coming in. Um, if I could work with bankruptcy attorneys, they'll spend thousands of dollars for leads coming in. You know, and I basically would do verticals and I, you know, would pick up new clients that just needed the video. They just needed the phone to ring and I would do call tracking numbers and all that other stuff. And I'd get these videos to rank and it was just amazing. Um, and when I would do a foot in the door strategy, I always do that. I always test something out, get the messaging down, make it, the video pop, you know, get something that it can connect. And I live in the desert. And so I, I called up my friend. He had a new uh, company um, and he's looking to scale. And he does pest control. This is like spraying for cockroaches, you know, and stuff like that. And we live in a desert, so the cockroaches are really big. Um, but uh, he says, sure, let's, let's go ahead and do it. And first two months, I quintupled his business. It's just like, just off the roof. And he's like, I can't even hire enough people, you know, like, and it's really, really good for him. And so he actually uh, was, had to go out into the field where he was just comfortably, you know, doing all the office work. And uh, he took the biggest clients. And he did the commercial clients. And one of the clients was a piano store. And he went into the piano store. He said, oh, wait, it's great to have you here. And they're talking. And he goes, man, um, do you know anybody that knows YouTube and marketing? And he goes, oh, you got to use my guy, Daryl. You have to use the guy, Daryl. Like, he's just brilliant at this. And so I went the next day to talk to the, this owner of the piano store. And he says, hey, I, I'm trying to sell grand pianos on YouTube. I, you're talking my language, man. I love video, whatever. And he showed me a video and I'm like, holy cow, that was the coolest video I've ever seen when it came to trying to sell a grand piano. That was amazing. And he put these pianos on top of mountains and they'd play songs or whatever. He had about um, 20,000 subscribers at the time and they were getting hundreds of thousands of video views. I'm like, okay, well, tell me what equated it to that. How many, how many pianos have you sold? This is, well, pianos are anywhere between $30,000 to $80,000. And we sold absolutely zero. That's why you're here. <laughs> like, okay. So we, we started to look at it and I just fell in love with it. And I says, okay, this is going to be something really cool because you're doing something that's getting people to watch your content. You know, uh, what do you really want to do? He goes, I, if I could sell this piano store, I'd do it and just do music the whole time. And his the people that was helping him was doing the same thing. I says, well, let's just do that. And um, that's kind of where it all started. Uh, the next 18 months, they went from 20,000 subscribers to 1.8 uh, million subscribers, hundreds of millions of video views. And that's the moment that I found my jam. I found what I've been craving to do my whole life, which is 
I wanted to make videos that people would talk about. I wanted to make videos that people would share. I wanted to be the brains behind these amazing creators and use my marketing prowess uh, to help them really engage. Because that's what I've always wanted to do. And since then, we've generated well over 60 billion. We're almost like 61 billion video views on YouTube. We've done another 32 billion on Facebook. Facebook's really easy with that. And we've developed some of the biggest brands and businesses out there. We've developed strategies for them to leverage video to turn into money. We're really good at that. And then we worked with some of the biggest creators on the planet. And I think the big thing for me is when you find what you're passionate about, it makes it, it makes the long days all worth it. Um, and it's hard. You know, it's not the easiest thing to do. And so when you look at why YouTube for me, it was, um, I found my jam. I found what I'm passionate about. And, and now I became obsessed of knowing everything about it. And so for me, this is true context. And Dane can, can attest to it because he was invited to the first Vid Summit. I started Vid Summit because I wanted to learn. And I thought, hey, there's not a conference out there for me. And I need to create a conference because I'm not going to sit around and complain. I'm an action taker, you know? And so I decided to invite 12 people that I wanted to learn from in the industry. And I invited them to, to, for, to give them a stage. And that's how Vid Summit was started. But I was on the quest to learn. And that's where everything, you know, kind of started was I wanted to further my agency. And I needed to further my knowledge and I need to give people a platform to teach that don't normally teach. And that was really, really, really important for me because I wanted to learn and I want to learn from the best people in the industry. And so that's kind of how it all started. I know that's the longest intro <laughs> in the history of the planet, but it tells you a couple of things. When you have to, at one point or time in your life, you have to, to take and pull the trigger. You have to jump in with both feet, right? And sometimes you have to do that multiple times before you figure out what your jam is. But if you're passionate about it, then that's where all the long hours come in and you're okay with it. You know, you can deal with it mentally too, because you're passionate about it, you know, and it's just amazing what the opportunity is for YouTube. And my jam, uh, for those that don't know, is I build audiences and I convert those audiences into dollars. And I'm very dang good at it because I'm always learning. I spend over an hour a day trying to consume information that I can apply to become better. And I just, I have lofty goals and I, I just will not conform and I won't coast. You will never catch me coasting ever. I think I'll coast when they put me in the grave. So. That's weird. I'm not surprised. You know, I say one of my weaknesses is that I say that I don't have time, but, you know, I think, you know, you'll either make time or you'll make excuses. So I think all of us could take a leaf out of your, your book, Daryl, and stop making so many excuses and uh, make time for the things that are really important. I did have a lot of questions. Let's, let's do it. So I did I, the longest entry, <laughs> the longest question strings. There we go. Uh, you, you, you keep referring to, to we, uh, and I don't think a lot of people really know a lot about your, your agency or your company, which is Creatus. Is that how you, you yep. pronounce it? Mm -hmm. So what does, what does that look like as a company? How big is the team? What is the, the clientele like? Yeah. Are they, are they all just finding you because you're, you're the figurehead because uh, as well as some kind of high level creators in this group, we've also got a subset of professional channel yep. managers agency owners, 
So just from a selfish point of view, and I know there are some other agency owners on the call, what does that business look like? I, I'm more than happy to talk about it. So the reason why I use we, even though that some of it's I, is because it's a team effort. There's a, no way in a million years that I can do any of this by myself. Like you have to build a, a solid team. For me, it started out with finding someone to uh, relieve some burden, you know, and I, I will we'll push the company that I sold you know, the website design, because I mean, we had 52 employees. So that's just, I, I, I literally wanted to jump out of a 10 story, you know, building because I, I just don't deal very good with HR. So for me, I found that uh, my team consists of someone to manage me. I, I need someone to balance. And Tom, you were able to interact. Like I don't set my schedule. I have blocked out time. But I have someone managing, well, I have a couple of people managing aspects of the day-to-day. So that's really, really key. I found that I work really well with someone that's not intimidated by me. It's, it's really easy to find people. It's hard to find people that work really well with you. I just need someone to stand their ground and tell me that I'm out of line if I'm out of line and not afraid to do that. So uh, that's the type of people that I, I gravitate. And then the company, uh, Creatus, um, has evolved uh, quite quite a bit. What we do now is we don't take on new clients. We just don't do that. And just to give you context of who our clients have been, Epic Games has been a client for years. Uh, We've helped them with their YouTube strategies and influencer strategies for Fortnite and other things that we can't talk about. And then like Amazon and uh, Netflix has been a client. We've done a lot with Nintendo. Really, really amazing client there. There's a funny story behind that one, one of these days when we can talk about it. But so big, big brands, Adobe, Red Bull, you know, NBC, ABC, ESPN, uh, just really, really tactical yeah. things. Now, when I do stuff like that, it's generally going in, working with their teams or building up their teams to handle, you know, kind of an audit or kind of an action plan or a content strategy from there. Just depends. Um, when I was with Red Bull, it was really focusing in on how to promote Red Bull events have one in my backyard called Red Bull Rampage where they ride mountain bikes down a cliff, you know, which is crazy. And then I would take on clients where it was uh, just kind of channels and so on. And we've done a, a lot of those and we've helped a lot of people over the years. But what we found is we actually have our own channels. And so we start two a year and then we partner with two channels a year. Partnering with channels, we actually either buy into their company and own a big percentage of it, or it's earned equity in a company. And that's the only place that we do that. And then that itself, that ecosystem, the team is about 12 people that we have all over the world. Most of them are either uh, channel managers that they handle the strategy and the management of said channel, whether it's for one that we own outright or the ones that we own a portion of it. And then we have teams around it where we have thumbnail, like we have a whole thumbnail team and then we have an editing team and that's kind of where it goes from there. Now, strategists, uh, they kind of, they're floaters. Uh, We have a few of them and some of you have interacted with my chief strategist, you know, Justin Smith, who also handles my coaching program as well. And so that's kind of the, the ecosystem that we've created. I will... Every once in a while, I'll take on a project where I'll take on a client. Last two and a half years, I've been working with the creator, Mr. Beast, um, when he had like, you know, 3 million subscribers. And then, you know, I don't even, I think he's at 56. I think they just passed Dude Perfect. So I think they're at uh, 55 million, you know, and we 
build uh, quite a few channels and stuff. And we're I'm partners with him in a couple of businesses. So yeah, really just an incredible business. I'm I'm interested. Well, yeah, I'm super interested. I could do, maybe do a whole separate podcast on just the the way that you run your agency in the future. I know that. I know I said to you before, one of my ambitions is to come to, to Utah for a, a week, and <laughs> sign, a, sign a stack of NDAs and, you know, get behind a kimono inside of a career. Good luck with that one. <laughs> I am like the most secretive person ever. But the, here's, the, here's the thing, though. And I think the key to this is this would be a good question for people to ask. Would, what would I have done differently? Um, I wish I would have taken equity in companies sooner than just help someone like nothing just eats you up when you build something and they're like, okay, you've done your job. Good night. We'll see you later. And you're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Like, like I've literally built your company into whatever. And yet, you know, they treat me as a consultant, which is fine because that's what, that's what it was. Right. And so like the value that you bring sometimes des- deserves, you know, when you're saving company $865,000 deserves more than, just a $10,000 a year raise, right? And so it comes full circle. So I, I decided, hey, if I'm going to put that energy and effort into it, then then I'm going to take equity. You know, there's just no no ifs, ands, and buts about it. If I want to help people, that's where my coaching program comes in. So. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. And same reason that I left the corporate world a couple of years back. And I think, yeah, I, I've got a business coach who, who constantly tells me, you know, equity is the way or, you know, you don't get involved. I think you'd probably agree. Yes, you you wish you had done it earlier, but you also have to work your way up to a level maybe where someone wants your services and and trust you enough and you've got enough credit. You know, I, I think that you could do it from day one. You just got to put in the hard work is all it is. You know what I'm saying? Instead of being paid, then you're being paid with equity. Yeah, and yeah. so that, I, 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 like I would 100% disagree that you have to wait to do it. I think it's just more it needs to be the right circumstances where your skill set is something that they don't have and it's something that they would view valuable and that percentage. So, I mean, that's my thoughts. Yeah. I've got a million follow-up questions for that, but very, very interesting. And I think that I know we've got some audience questions that are kind of related to that. Let's quickly talk about the book, which I'm dying to get my hands on. I tried to get an advanced copy. I couldn't do it. What I am going to do is uh, I'm going to buy a few copies and, and give those away to people that made it to the cool live. And I'll maybe get your help to uh, choose some of the lucky recipients of those books, Daryl. But luckily, I, I've already listened to, I've listened to a, a very interesting podcast hosted by our very own fellow pro channel manager member, uh, Dane Golden, that, that really dives into the book. If you If you haven't heard that, go and check it. I'll link to that in our show notes. But what I found really kind of interesting were a couple of points. One was that you broke it up into kind of three, I think you said it was like three main sections. Yep. And part was, you know, pleasing the algorithm, part was was pleasing the audiences. And one point that I was really interested in, uh, and I'm going to get really specific with my question, is that you spoke about a strategy where you said you launched a new channel and the first video you did, you knew you were building it for search. And then the second video that you made, you were building for purely suggested videos. And I've got two questions for that. Oh, by the way, that channel popped off. It has 100,000 subscribers since we talked. How long since you launched that channel? January 13th. (laughs) There we go. So we've got the right man on the call to talk about. (laughs) So, So my question is, one, what does that look like? From a technical point of view, like what are the mar- what are the market differences between those two types of videos? And a, a more philosophical question for me is: 
are those two things mutually exclusive? Yeah, great question. So for me, I broke up the book in three parts. So the first part is understanding the history of YouTube decision-making. And part of that is the platform and the ecosystem. Part two is the opportunity. Part three is the YouTube formula. And regardless of what it is, and, and this is where I go way in depth on part one, part two, and part three is it's all about people and people's intentions. Like, why are they coming to YouTube? And I know that I was on YouTube today uh, for a very specific reason, you know, and people come to YouTube for a very specific reason. And sometimes we don't like to think about those things. And that's where we should. So there's a vast majority of people will come and they're searching out content very specifically, whether it's to be educated, to be inspired, to be entertained, or like people like to de-stress a little bit. And so they're looking for content that will take the, the stress level or the mental issues that they're facing down a couple notches because they have a really douchebag person at work that they want to kill. And so they need to kind of relax a little bit, you know? And so there's multiple reasons for that. So what, what I like to do is formulate why. Why are they, um, you know, coming to YouTube? And what is the subset of why they're doing it? Now, the first video that we did was I knew that there are people looking for that type of content. We already know the search volume and you teach that very specifically of how to actually gauge it with keywords and so on. We get it, right? So the intention of it is I knew if this was, actually geared for people for search that people would start that experience and that's where they need to start you got to like if you're uploading videos you got to understand where are they going to start their journey and i knew that was the first journey now knowing that i needed to recommend a video that they'd want to watch that they just had to watch you know and it needed to be the best video i've ever made in my whole life and the reason why was because if i could said get them to click on search and percentage of people would finish to the end and a percentage of people would see it and say, oh, I'm very curious to see what happens. And once you have that, then you actually have some data points that YouTube sees. It says, hey, a high probability of people that, that watch this video like this other one. And so guess what started to be suggested? You know, in Next Up, it was that video. Now you do that consistently for a period of time. We never, I think our fifth video that we did was a geared for search. But those are the only two videos we've ever done for search for that. And the reason why is because 75% of all views that happen on YouTube today is when YouTube does its job and finds the right video for the viewer and satisfies them with that type of content. Now, what's really interesting, and this is the other side of that interview podcast, when you do it, when you know what the heck you're freaking doing, that first video you did for search is not coming, that search is like a minimal amount of the traffic now. Uh, yeah. In fact, our our main, I was just looking at it today because I really watch closely channels that we create, you know, the first three months. But that like 80% of the traffic, it was like 82.6% of the traffic that was coming from YouTube recommending it. So that was browse feature, which is homepage, subscription feed, and then also the suggestion. And so having that, it's like now search is not even the top five traffic mm -hmm. sources. But it was for the beginning because it's like when somebody needs to discover us, what we need to do is get the right type of people watching. And so this is a true indicator of why I never talk about my channels is because I don't want you watching my content because you're not my viewer. Like, yeah. There's no way in a million years would I ever want that to happen because I don't want to confuse the audience. I don't want to confuse the AI of understanding, oh, this is the type of content that I consume. 
you know, and getting you to watch, like you'll do it out of support or a curiosity. You might watch one video, but then you're going to skip over it. Right. Or you're going to watch maybe five, five minutes of it or two seconds of it. Like you're not my ideal viewer. And if you are my ideal viewer, then I'll promote it to you. Right. And so I personally only like to do it two ways. First way would be finding out a solid strategy that brings people into search, but gives them a very strong desire to get them to watch multiple videos. And I'm very, very good at that, that portion of the second way I like to do it is look at the audience I want and, and then figure out a promotional way and outside of search that I can collaborate with channels or integrate with channels or even pay channels to do a paid integration where they're pushing that first initial traffic to me. So there's several ways to do it. I, I generally choose nine times out of 10 to do it search just because I don't know. I, I know that search is very specific type of traffic. And if I can get them to kick and I can get the algorithm to understand what that is, then it can go out to a broader audience. So essentially what you're saying is the first video is more kind of keyword based, based around people, what you know their search intent is. So you're optimizing for that. But that second video is more based around curiosity. Yeah, curiosity, passion. So you're tapping into their desires more than their yeah. their Because they just intent. I mean, look at it from their point of view. And this is where I, I know creators don't think this way. They just don't. Or they would just have a, a bajillion amount of views. But it's like, what are they doing next? They're satisfied to just leave it alone after search. I didn't. I, I We had the plan and we pushed a video. Even before a video was even there, you know, we were pushing a video. And it was because we knew that search volume would take a while. But when we released it the next day, it now had something that it could go, you know, and it, we like, we didn't get that much traffic on the first day. I think it was like a hundred views, but it now had correlation data and we had a systematic way of, Oh, Hey, that's something I need to do. Now, keep in mind, I could have released a couple of videos at the same time and it would have got better traffic, but to the next video, but I've done this enough and there's no value in doing three videos first, unless I could get a huge amount of traffic coming to it which was no guarantee, especially in search. There's no guarantee in that. So so a, a kind of related question to that is that I see the trend generally that, you know, I would see myself as not a creator, you know, I'm not, re- you know, although I, I studied filmmaking and stuff like that, I, I'm not from a kind of creative background. I'm, I'd say I'm more of a, a platform guy. And, you know, my, my kind of superpower is kind of, you know, optimization and keyword strategy. And I'm, I'm still getting a lot of good results with that. But I'd I'd say that over the last, especially the last couple of years, that kind of that that optimization side is almost become a a dirty word. So I I would like to know from you, again, as I say someone someone I trust, and maybe you you tell me that I'm wrong, how important is it still to think about keywords and optimization? I'm not just talking about tags, because people just jump straight straight to the thing. Oh, tags are this tag. I'm talking yeah. about overall the entire experience of descriptions and titles and words in your your scripts and the whole experience. How yeah. important are keywords to obviously not every channel, you know, someone like Mr. Beast is way past keywords being No, he's not. I one hundred percent disagree with that. Well, that's even better for me. That's even no, better for but me. It's it, but but it's the way you look at it, right? So let's just look at it logically, because when you look at it logically, it's the best way to see it. Okay, so get out of your mind that you're optimizing for a search engine. Okay, what we're looking to do is optimize for people and people respond for certain words. I could say a word right now 
that would get people to cringe right now. And I could get you all to react. You know, I can't. And it's that simple. It's understanding how to get people to respond. And certain keywords will create an emotional connection or a distrust or uh, confusion or, you know, curiosity that will lead to it. So when you say, and I, I think this is the difference would be is how you're approaching it. Like I, I approach it through people. And I would say someone like Mr. Beast would approach it through people and how people would respond. Okay. So for me, it's, it's very simple. When you look at just even coming up with the type of content that you put in a video, if I was doing a giveaway or I was doing uh, a review and I had to review an Xbox versus a PS5, what would I choose? Would you look at search volume? Absolutely not. Uh, what I would say is what are people having a hard time getting a hold of? Mm-hmm. PS5. Okay, if they're having a hard time getting a hold of it, then there's a huge demand for it. That psychological trigger, they're going to be curious about it, especially if you're doing a giveaway for a PS5. And then two, if you really want to know the keyword research for that as well, Microsoft doesn't spend squat for money on ads for Xbox. They don't. If you want to make more money, PS5, because Sony will throw down the money Mm -hmm. to get people to talk about Sony. And so you're going to be not only being more relevant with the audience, but you're going to making more money with less amount of views is because, you know, there's advertising that Sony will throw behind that. And so I do believe that that keywords are relevant, but not optimizing for search engines, not optimizing the time. I optimize for people and understanding what people would react to. And so in the UK, who's your football team, Tom? Arsenal. Okay. Okay. And, and you're, you're diehard gun, gun Absolutely. Galore, right? season ticket holder. Yeah. Okay. Season t- How long have you had season tickets? About five years, but my dad's had one for about 40 years. So. Okay. So it's like inbred in you to be a fan, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if I, I don't know, man, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Here you had 40 years, 40 years plus five. That's that's inbred to me. But anyway. I'm originally from Hereford. (laughs) (laughs) But the reason why I say that is knowing that trigger and how passionate it is, who is the team that you hate the most? Oh, Spurs, Tottenham, yeah. Uh, okay. Arch enemy, yeah. Okay, so if I did a video where I said that your arch nemesis team is better than your team, are you watching that video? Not in a million years. Not in a million years. Well, it depends what channel it's on. Depends what channel it's on. Yeah. But if I showcase, hey, this team could beat your favorite team, you're like, no, there's no way to do it. And, and there's a connection. Because I'm tapping into something emotionally to you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I know, I know for a fact I can trigger you. 100% is oh, yeah. based off of that. I'm easily triggered. <laughs> but that's humans. Humans are yeah, easily absolutely. triggered. And so keywords mean something. Keywords are, are relevant to people. Like, let's just take it out of understanding search volume. Like, I, I, you, there's never in a million years that you could get me convinced that search volumes higher than understanding how re- how words respond to people. Now, I love search volume. That that gives us an, a data point that we can say, oh, there's some interest in here. And if we use this word in variation, that could yeah, be yeah. something that held in search. But I look at it, how's it going to be received by the the end person? And can we make it more clickable? Right. Um, and saying your team is taking it all this year. Oh, well, yeah, of course. That's something that you do. 
you know, that, that would be something from there. There's no search volume that would even remotely close be there, but I can guarantee you that it's going to get the click. It's going to get the click from the fans or also the haters because they're like, nah, dude, like, come on, you know? And is it a, a question mark explanation point? Are they going to do it this year? Who knows? As a curiosity factor that, that you can build on. And so I do, and this is uh, very important that your audience hears what I say. I did invite you to Vid Summit because I wanted to learn your strategy of keywords. I gave you the exact talk that I wanted to hear. I do believe there is a lot of relevance of what we're actually doing to bring more value into it. But that being said, when YouTube gets the data that it needs to find the viewer, then it doesn't need all that other stuff that's there. Now, it, it, does it enhance it? Absolutely. Does it enhance it? Absolutely. Whether it's said certain things that would get people to be triggered and you're using key phrases that, that resonate with people, absolutely it will happen. But when you literally look at the dynamic of people, of why they're watching content, if the main idea behind your content is someone to gain knowledge, you're going to see channels that you can get a video and you get knowledge, right? And when you can get it and you see the identical channel that's doing identical content, but they're more saying, I'm going to give knowledge, but I'm going to weave in what they need to know, what they didn't just search for, Mm -hmm. but what they need to know. That's when you see that other channel has tons more uh, subscribers and views and no one can put their thought process in how that actually happens because it's identical. The only difference is, is the creators thought through the process of, well, what's next for them outside of watching that one piece? And what can I get them to watch another video? Yeah, I'd say that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that I see is people not trying to push that onward journey and just trying to make a video in kind of isolation. Uh, I'd also kind of say that in terms of optimization and stuff, you know, as, as I say in, in the forward of my book, optimization, like you said, can amplify stuff. So to me, it's a multiplier of potential. So he's not a cure for bad videos or a bad strategy. It's a way to maybe dial up and like you said, I think amplify is a great word. So a a video can reach its full potential. But if the video is terrible or if it's not framed in a certain way and and it's not marketed in a certain way, and I think the fact that you're from a marketing background, Daryl, is, is really, really key as to why you're so good because whenever I've hired people to work for me in certain teams, I've always given them a a, a test. And usually what brings people down or makes people for me, no matter how proficient they are technically is if they can't write good copy, I usually can't hire them. Yes, you can learn to be better, but if you just haven't got that, that kind of X factor in how to write a title, how to write a description that manages to evoke an emotional reaction. I actually think that um, Antonio, who Antonio Centeno from Real Men Style, who's on this call, he he really helped me hammer that home. And what's the emotional reaction that this thumbnail is going to create or this title is going to create? And that's now, you know, saying that and using that as a kind of a dogma as to how can you evoke an emotional reaction? Uh, I think that's really good. And I know you do that so well, so well, Daryl, across the, the channels. Well, I, 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 I definitely believe a couple of things. I think the first thing would be, this is the person's first experience with the creator, right? And so keeping that in mind, you know, the majority of the views coming in, it could be their first experience. So what type of experience are you creating for them? 
And then the second thing, and this is something I really look at, is if it's not easy to understand what the content is, then it's never going to work. I don't care what the, the thing is. It's really simple to understand of what's going on and even more simple to share. And when you look at, you know, fulfilling on the promise of whatever you're, you're doing and bringing that value in, it needs to be understand what they're going to get because complexity confuses the viewer and no one likes to be like confused. You know, they just don't, they want to see, oh, here's the next thing, or they can almost anticipate what's going to happen, but then they're surprised when it happens because it's like done in a unique, fun way. But we like predictability and we don't like to be confused and we just don't. And the reality is, and this is one of the, the kickers, is we like to, to feel good about something or we like to be triggered. We just do. It, you know, if something just sets you off, you've got to talk to somebody about why that sets you off and why this is so wrong. You know, we just do. We have to communicate that. And so when we can really look at content that way, and I don't care what channel it is, it's just, you know, you know understanding how you're going to fulfill that unique value proposition, but more positioning it in a way where it's easy to digest what's going on, but really easy for them to digest it and really be able to recommend that to other people. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on to some listener and viewer questions because I'm taking up all of your time. Guys, if you've got a question for Daryl, if you can just put your name in the chat or just say me, I'll add you to a, the queue. So it's first come, first serve, and we'll get through as many as we can. First of all, though, I've got a question from Andrew who couldn't make the call. Uh, he's got a number of questions, but I'm going to choose the ones that I think is, is most relevant to this conversation. You talk about your, the new channels that you work with or, or you, you launch each year. And I heard on Dane's podcast, you mentioned that you spend at least kind of six months re researching for each topic. And I think that kind of part answers Andrew's question. Another question is, is the idea fully formed when you launch or is there still some room to learn and pivot slightly? And what are the kind of boxes that have to be ticked for you to either invest in or launch a new pro a project? So does it have to also have other avenues of monetization apart from obviously just AdSense and, and stuff like that? Is there a wider consideration? Yeah. Um, so great questions, by the way. So for me, I need to know exactly what my content is going to be before I launch. I, I need to know exactly what it's going to look like for at least a good two to three months. Now, we're going to get data in and we're going to make adjustments along the way, right? But if I don't understand the value proposition, then I'm just throwing up content. Like there's no strategy behind it. So that that's kind of the key thing for me. Uh, and channels that I'm the most enticed uh, to create is when I don't have to be in those videos. Um, you know, that's a really good thing. And also, I want to do it without having, um, if it's channels that we currently own outright, if I could just it swap people in and out so it doesn't have a reliant on a person, you know, to do it. So I it could be whatever. Uh, we started out do a lot of kids content type stuff. That's not where the big money is. And the bigger money is there's a lot of different verticals that just work. And so anything that is, um, is has a big audience that that there's some value that's transaction. And then we try to figure out how can we uh, streamline a process of automation and, and get things to, to go. So like the, the channel that that's blowing up right now that we just started, you know, back in January 13th, um, you know, we were producing content in October and refining it and editing it and getting it down. We had two and a half months worth of content already done. 
you know, we had a pretty good indicator that it was going to be, you know, good. And it, it is. I mean, audience retention is about 82% on a 19 to 20 minute video, which is really good. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we refined it. We got a couple that are well in the high uh, 80s, um, you know, but it just really depends on on that. But I, I would say I've done this enough that I don't pivot as much on the ideation um, because I, I know the audience so well of what they're looking for. It would be how to improve the experience, yeah. the video. And that's where we do, we do. And then there might be a trend that we don't necessarily anticipate, but comes out based off of the data that we're able to see. So you're, you're tweaking and optimizing as you go rather than... 100%, right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. In the whole entire channel, that kind of stuff. Yeah, like we'll, we'll even though that we have the stuff edited, we'll re-edit something when yeah. we see something that's there. It's just, yeah. we just have everything ready to go. But yeah, we're always pivoting, but it's the small tweaks that yeah. are those little things that, that you need to take very, very big consideration for. Cool. Uh, I'd like to invite um, Ollie from uh, Now Creatives to come and answer his question. Great. Yeah. Hey, guys. Hey, Daryl. Thank you for coming on this call. It's been um, really great so far. So my question is kind of relating to the CFO story that you, <laughs> you related about kind of not really, people just not really thinking about reinvestment and uh, just kind of focusing on what the cost difference is or just kind of like standards. So yeah, basically I've got an agency. We've got 5 billion views on the videos we've edited in the past three years. We've worked with large creators earning tens of thousands per month or hundreds of thousands. And what we've found is that like I've talked to hundreds of these creators with millions of subscribers and so many of them still kind of don't value their time um, particularly well relative to what it's actually worth. So they still just like work with individual freelancers instead of looking and finding interest in either hiring a team outright or just going to an agency. So basically my question is, when it comes to finding creators who really can think of their business like it's a business and they focus on reinvestment, how would you kind of suggest to find those creators? Because they seem quite hard to find. Yeah, I, I think the big thing is seeing creators that are just doing it and they struggle to do it. So the ones that we partner with and do it, like we, our skill set would be, hey, let us handle, you know, um, the production side, you know, from video capturing to editing, to uploading, to optimization, to, you know, ideation type stuff. Uh, you just be you and you do the things. Now, we're not going to tell you what to create. You know, we're going to give you suggestions, but you're the creator. And finding that right good balance between that, that's kind of what we look for is if we're able to provide something uniquely that they're deficient of. And all it takes is a couple um, that you've done uh, to prove that it works. And once it proves that it works, then you can scale it. But I think creators that you're relieving a specific problem and you take it where you're not going right into where they're paying you for services, but it's equity. It's just getting people that are open to that, I think is the, is the key. Because there's a lot of people, oh yeah, it's great. You know, you got us 2 million subscribers. We're getting hundreds of millions of video views, but yeah, we don't need you anymore. And when you leave, this has happened. I have a policy that if someone excuses me, I will never work with them again, ever. Mm. And I do this. So this is a, a true story. The piano guys, when we were going, they were like, oh, we got everything. We got stuff with Sony. We're ready to go, whatever. You know? And they went their way. And I was kind of left. They wanted me to work full time for them. I says, absolutely not. I got my, my own businesses. I got my own people. And so they're, okay, we're going to do our own thing. They came back to me and I'm like, nope, sorry. I, I'm just, I, I don't care who you are. Like, it just, I, you know, if you didn't see value the first time, you're not going to see value the second time, even when you have a wake up call. So, mm. is that also why you kind of don't focus so much on 
working with creators? We work with tons of creators, man. Like okay, yeah. you can ever imagine. And the, a lot of the success that we have is coming from creators. There's just no ifs, ands, and buts about it. We just got to figure out how to make it work. So okay. we, got, we got processes. Like for us, it's, it's about, I mean, the value that we're bringing in is we're going to bring money. Okay, number one, we, we got money to invest, you know, and we can, we can bring your costs down immediately. Okay. And, and two, we're going to bring in the money so we're going to have, uh, you know, investment opportunities or product or whatever, whatever, whatever it is, we'll figure out a way. Okay. And then we're going to create processes and systems so you can scale, you know, and a lot of these creators, they're pulling, you know, 16, 18 hour days and they're doing it by themselves. And if you can get them down where they're only doing like an, you know, an eight to 10 hour day, then they're, they're in heaven, you know, and mm. you're doing it where, you know, they're making 10 X the amount of money. It's great. The channel that we partnered with last year, you know, we took from about 20,000 subscribers to uh, 565,000 subscribers in six months. And they did about uh, 14 million views. And now they're, you know, at 134 million views. So they're getting tons from there. But we did one product that we actually own the IP. When I say we, because we now own a portion of the company, we did a product that we own the IP and it's done $1.8 million since November 23rd. And so mm. that was a lot more money than they made. It was, it was probably because they did about 800,000 on AdSense, you know, uh, from the time that we, we uh, did that. But it was a lot more in that, in that scenario. So that's the value that we have. And when you're able to show, okay, this is what we can do for you, then they're really good to partner. Now, I found, and this is just me personally, I found that I struggle finding people that are in line with what I want to do. And so... Mm. Uh, part of my mentoring program, they become students, uh, they become like mentor-mentee relationship. And those are the ones that I actually look for. They're, they come to me and ask to partner, generally. Yeah, interesting. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much. Well, thanks, Daryl. Um, Antonio, you also sent in a question, but you can probably phrase it better than I can. So... Yep. Okay. So, uh, Daryl, hopefully you can hear me. Let's, uh, this is going to be ultra specific and it has to do with buckets. Uh, so I got your book right here. You have a great chapter on buckets, but I also went through channel jumpstart. My question with buckets, and you may want to clarify if anyone doesn't know what they are, is, um, do hashtags classify as bucket keywords? Okay. And is it worth it to go back to older videos and to try to make them bucket compliant? So what uh, a content bucket is, is when you have a content strategy for a certain type of video. So like in the book, I talk about last to leave, like Mr. Beast does last to leave. So last to leave, fill in the blank. That's a certain style of video that you know that, know what that is, know what to expect in the video. And then also it has the keyword relationship that's needed to recommend. And as we're well aware, you know, YouTube looks at what's in your library first when you're recommending content. And if you have related content, and that would be viewer relationship, but also metadata relationship, then it's going to have a higher probability of being suggested. And so that's where that suggested traffic comes in. And then doing a consistent pattern of what that is, um, you can go from there. It actually fulfills with your like older content that actually fulfills with the, the content flow absolutely you can change it and i just don't disrupt anything that's bringing you a ton of views but if it's not you can reset that and reconnect that in the way and it you know you can follow the kind of the the stuff that you've learned in channel jumpstart because you know a lot deeper than that but you can do it but i always like to look at moving forward you know that's the best that you can possibly do especially when you know how to weave it in because now you can start calling out specific videos that are related 
And that's where that data relationship could accrue based off of what they're clicking through. And so that's what we're trying to do, get, you know, a card and screen element, you know, description, pin comment, whatever, you know, of getting them to take action into that related content that normally YouTube would suggest. Now, I've been known to get my clients to have pretty much every recommended video in, in the next up. And that's why sometimes we can get hundreds of millions of video views is because uh, per, per month is because we, we dominate that. And it's just getting that viewing patterns and relationships of the viewer and bringing enough diversity of content for YouTube to say, oh, here's a rabbit hole, you know, content. And then, oh, here's some related content that they might be interested in. And that's where it would come into play. Thank you. Uh, one follow-up to that. And actually the recon tool on the website, Channel Jumpstart, is that live or not going to? Oh, yeah. You need to, like, I don't know when was the last time we actually introduced some pretty interesting tools last month. So, okay, got it. like really interesting tools. So everything that you did and then amplified by 10x. Uh, and once you see what we do with thumbnails, it's just going to, you, you, you'll wet yourself. It's really good. So it's tools that is, yeah, I've wanted for a very long time. Thanks, Daryl, for making me jealous. So, uh, yeah. Sorry. Trying, yeah trying, is, <laughs> we love you. That's, uh, that's channeljumpstart.com, right? To get more information. Yeah. Is that right? Cool. Yeah, it's application only, you know, but yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, I think I haven't read the book yet, but by the sounds of it, anyone that's taken the, the foundational keyword research course, it sounds like uh, what Daryl's referring to as buckets would be categories in the foundational course. So it sounds like we're on the same lines there. Yeah, marketing, um, it's content marketing. It's a, it's, a, it's a marketing term in advertising and marketing. It's just a vertical of content yeah, yeah. that is consistent. So there's just the type of content that what it is. So you could have a creator that has different types of content, you know, uh, they might have an unboxing video. Well, that's certain types of content, right? But they also might do a review, but it's an unboxing video, but it's not, it's review. That's so it's a different type of content. And so yeah. that's, that's all it is. It's like, yeah. it's uh, content within a specific vertical. Mike, do you want to jump on and ask your question? Yeah, lovely. Hi, Daryl. Thank you so much. That's been a wonderful uh, talk so far. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I am about two years into my YouTube journey. I'm pretty much top of my niche. I've got upwards of 75,000 subs and about 10 million views. And this year's the year I'm trying to quit my day job and get into this full time. We love that. But I feel like I've hit a bit of a plateau. So I'm churning out content, maybe three bits, four bits a week onto YouTube. And subscribers got by about 4,000 a month. But my AdSense never really changes that much. Month on month, it stays about the same. And I don't know if, if this is a common problem, but I feel I'm at this point where there's the potential for it to be so much bigger, um, but I'm just not sure where to go with it next. What, what type of content do you create? It's a breath work. So different breathing exercises for, for different situations. And then, okay. then there's a dedicated breathwork podcast that goes alongside next to it, where I interview experts. And then I cut that up into little clips and put that on and put the big version on as well. And tell me a little bit about the, the business. Like, wh where are you making money? So, so, so it, right now, it's purely AdSense. So, so eventually, it's going to be a course and there's going to be clients. But right now, it's, it's purely just the AdSense. And, and tell me why the breathing exercises. Well, very, very briefly, I got into it with a guy called Wim Hof a few years ago, and he taught me some exercises and it just it blew my mind. And yeah, but really why, why do you need breathing exercises? Oh, it lowers stress and anxiety. It can get your focus up, your energy levels right. up. Yeah. So like, I already knew that, but I was just asking you um, very specifically. So this is what I would do. When you're looking at why people would, would want breathing exercises, 
and why they're discovering exercises. Um, mm-hmm. They, they want to de-stress, right? Mm-hmm. That's a big indicator. Just teaching them something to de-stress isn't necessarily going to bring you a ton of views. Mm-hmm. It's just not. But if they can experience something to get them to de-stress mm-hmm. while learning something or while using something that you've taught them, then that's where it's amplified. And so I do know this and I know that they make a ton of money because I own a couple channels that do this, but any meditation, sleep uh, type of things, de-stress type videos that are consistent and you can get that to roll very high CPMs. Um, Now, keep in mind, there is a disruption that's happened because of some ad policies that YouTube done. They now are firing mineral ads into it. And so we've, we've actually found a higher volume of people now viewing through YouTube Premium, which is an ad-free experience. And so like people realize, hey, this is disrupting my flow. And so they just mm-hmm. do the premium type stuff. And those are some of the highest revenues too. But just usually on a channel, we have a couple of channels doing 100 million uh, a month on that. And they're pulling in 200K a piece. Mm-hmm. So Because that's going so, down more the meditation route, is that what you're saying? I would just say, why does people want to learn it? And then okay. it's like, how can you do it? Because like for me, it's even though this breathing, you know, if you can be a part of their daily routine mm. or evening routine, okay. um, and it's just not the exercise you taught them that they learned in two videos. Gotcha. It okay. would be more going in, dipping into an experience that yeah. that is now a routine for them and they watch very consistently is a very big deal. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. So ancillary channel, do not do it on the same channel. It, it wouldn't work on the same channel. Right. So it would just be, hey, I got this other channel. You might want to check out this breathing stuff, you know, and this is something that's deep meditation for two hours or whatever. Mm, okay. Brilliant. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, I've got, um, I'm working on a channel, uh, Mike, that's got some like one of the facets is like binaural beats type stuff. And it's, we can talk about that separately, but yeah, we'll have, we'll have a chat about that. Uh, Daryl, I've got one last set of questions that I ask. Um, so I've got something called the fast five and I ask this to everyone that comes on the podcast. These are very, quick I, I'm not five. very fast, but by the way. <laughs> well, you should only need at least 10 minutes. Per you, 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 you don't know me very well then if it's in 10 minutes. All right. like, my introduction was like literally 26 <laughs> minutes. So, all right. But hopefully you'll be able to answer these pretty okay. quickly. If you could only watch one channel ever again, what one channel would that be? The, you can't do that to me. I, I would be in hell. If that was the case, because well, I, I, you know, this no, I was just saying that, like, it would that'd be hell. I would give up YouTube if I could only watch one channel. I'm, it's uh, true. A very political answer. I'll let you off with that one. Yep. Um, what I'm really interested in these ones because a lot of people are like, uh, I've never really thought about it, but I know you'll have good answers for these two. What one feature uh, from the past would you like YouTube to bring back? What what's one feature that we've had a beta for for seven and a half years, and they always say that we're going to have it is A/B testing, and yeah. I have it for certain clients, and it pisses me off because I mean it would be it would like just just don't even get me going on that. It's like, <sighs> yeah, because yeah, it's well, true. Uh, it's true A/B testing. It's yeah. like when we first did it, it was actually uh, oh send us the stuff, we'll email and we'll change it out. But now it's like yeah, it's it's off the chain, and I wish everyone had it. Yeah, I was part of that beta back at the back at the BBC, but unfortunately not. What one new feature apart from A/B testing would you like to see rolled out in, on YouTube? 
Uh, so they're starting to roll it out now, and it's dealing with something that I talked about earlier two years ago in Vid Summit that they're going to be really uh, interested on uh, acquisition, retention, and churn. Uh, I'd like to see more churn rate data. And so, like, I don't know if you guys noticed some changes in analytics in the last couple of days, yeah. but they're starting to show a lot more viewer behavior on it. And I think the more data that creators have will give them more opportunities. But the churn rate is when do they get disconnected and why? I'd like to know more of that because we've just never had, I've always have assumptions of why that happens. But if we have data points to do, I definitely would love that. And so you're talking about when do they churn from being a fan of that channel and watching that channel? No, video? no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is an acquisition, I'd like, let's just not say that they're a fan, but they become an active viewer. They become a viewer, okay? And then they, they might watch four or five videos and they're an active viewer in a, in a certain type. When do they stop? And why did they stop? You know, what, where was the disconnection moment um, is what I'm looking for. So they don't even have to subscribe. I, don't, I literally could care less about that. I just care about who are my unique viewers and how active they are, which that's the two new metrics that they put into analytics. And then, you know, the churn rate, which they, they should be doing here soon. Number four, what one piece of advice would you give to a new YouTube channel manager? Don't ever be satisfied with your technique. There's something flawed. Um, look for opportunities. Don't accept what's always been as the, the best route. Yeah. Um, and maybe I want to give you context. I had a very big uh, YouTuber reach out. And like, and I'll do consults like this all the time, but like they just needed some help. And um, it was just changing one of their misconceptions of when to post on YouTube. And they were posting two pieces of content a day. They're a gamer. And so they did two a day and we just shifted it so that it would be more congruent with the audience. And they doubled their views. And they went from 200 to 400 million views a month. And that was the only change they did. They changed content. They didn't do anything. It was just knowing timing and how it could release. So I 100% would say, don't ever fall into the trap that what you're doing is the right way. Just always look at the data and make data-driven decisions and be the willing to have the gumption to test things. Yeah. Sometimes you can't as a channel manager, but um, if you can prove, hey, what if we did this or let's just ch try this at this time, then you're able to see new data points. Yeah, as I always say, every day is a school day. Last question to wrap up the stream. Um, if YouTube was a person, what would you say to them if you met them at a Christmas party? <laughs> oh, man, I, I would give them a hug because they've made me a lot of money. <laughs> I, like, seriously. And I'm not motivated by money, but I don't know. It's my life. And I, I would kind of be in awe a little bit, but definitely give them a hug. Him, okay. him or her. Coldwell <laughs> it, it. My book editor, my book editor told me that I had to refer it to it as an uh, it. Well, good so, luck on that one. Thank you so much. To Can everyone. I say one last thing? Yeah, on, sure. On this is really important. Yeah, yeah, go, go. I, So, regardless of where you're at, this is one thing that we haven't. We kind of alluded to it when I was talking about my team, but if you think in your right mind you can do this by yourself, you are insane. You need to surround yourself by amazing people. And it doesn't matter if it's just a mastermind group. It doesn't matter if it's the employees that are coming in. Synergy and pushing envelopes and learning from each other is where it's key. A lot of people that struggle, struggle because they don't have a support group. 
And I can tell you that every YouTube success story, there was a community around that YouTube success story. There was someone that was sharing data at late, early, early morning or late at night, you know, trying to figure things out. And what you want to do is surround yourself by the right people. And I've built uh, an amazing businesses out of surrounding myself by the right people. And what I look for are people that are not toxic Ted's or negative Nellies, like people that have a, a downer's way to look at things. Like I, I don't like pessim, you know, people that are pessimistic, you know, just be surrounded by people that realize, Hey, we're going to make mistakes and that's okay, but we're going to learn from the mistakes and we're going to analyze why we made the mistakes and be willing to change and be by people that, that lift you up instead of rip you down. And I can tell you that when you do that, you have a higher probability to succeed. And if you really look at anyone, anyone that has, has had success in business, in life, on YouTube, they are surrounded by people. And those people sometimes are behind the scenes, you don't even know they exist. And that's where they, they flourish, but they're surrounded by the right people helping them you know, on their journey, whether it's on Discord or it's in person or it's on their team. And so if you ever want to be a part of something better, it's like, look at who you're surrounded by and are they bringing you down? Are they always being negative? Oh, YouTube changed this, they hate us. Or is it, man, this opportunity is great, man. Look, look at all these the opportunities we can do. You know, just what type of process and what type of behavior are they? And evaluate. Sometimes you need to prune your connections and, and look at the people from there. And that type of environment is really important. I would say by far, it's the most important thing outside of my drive that I have. And if you look at uh, the culture that you're creating in your YouTube channel on your business, that culture is everything. And anyone that has gone to Vid Summit knows how much I stress about culture. Um, it's important. Like people need to feel like they're coming home and it's a relationship type of experience. And I wanted people personally like me that wanted to learn and are willing to give and not just take because we live in a world of takers. But the people that I want to surround myself by is people that are willing to give their time, their energy, their effort, their money for success or just be a part of something. And so you can create it. It starts with you. And I can tell you people that are watching this or in this group right now, there's other people that are like-minded and, and you should be having conversations outside of this. You know, if you really want to succeed, it's trying to figure that out. Um, and then two, success breeds success. Um, I, I'm going to share something very, very important. But Mr. Beast is by far one of the most successful YouTubers. And it didn't start on YouTube. It started when he was in high school. And he was the worst student ever because he just wanted to be a YouTuber. But he made a million dollars while he was in high school, not on YouTube and not illegally. Well, kind of, because <laughs> like he was underage and he couldn't do crypto, but he used yeah. his mom's account. But anyway, the point that I'm getting at is success breeds success and surround yourself by successful people. And you will be more successful by the nature of what you learn. And lastly, um, I'm going to just share with you uh, just one experience. And this is by far, um, I don't know if it made the book, to be honest with you. It just, it just, it's all blurring together with everything that I teach and train. But I got approached by someone. I, I was reaching out um, and said, hey, I need a PA. And this guy goes, I'll be your PA. Let's do it. 
And I'm like, cool, you know? And so we went up, we went on a shoot, production's assistant. He was running to Walmart, grabbing us donuts and all that other stuff, just grinding away, you know? And it was on a shoot with bigger YouTubers. And he's like, dude, thank you so much for that opportunity. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm like, no problem. I go, if there's anything I ever can do for you, you know, just let me know. Yeah, just, would you just kind of give me some tips? And I gave him some tips and, you know, I was willing to help because he just did it for free, you know? And he goes, you know, what, what should I do? And I'm on a YouTube channel. I says, well, reach out to these three creators. Uh, first creator has thousands of subscribers. Oh, thousands. So I can't wait till I get a thousand subscribers because he had like a hundred, right? And uh, yeah, reach out to him. So other guy has 5,000 subscribers. Another one has 10,000 subscribers. These three people, I want you to create a group, okay? You get them together and tell them that Daryl sent you and I'll meet with the, all, all three of you. Because I'm more, hey, if I'm going to help somebody, I'd do, rather do one-on-many than one-on-one. And so he did. And we met up at kind of a breakfast restaurant place in the United States. And I just gave them everything that they needed to know. And I talked to them about how to cross pollinate and, you know, cross promote. And the guy that had 10,000 subscribers didn't want to do it. He's like, no. And he's like, Daryl said so. He said, okay, I'll do it. And he just was so re- resistant. And Steve was always willing to learn. And he's like, hey, let me volunteer if it's some up. Okay, got it, man. Let me get you a plane ticket and all that other stuff. So he did. And he went down and he's there to learn. And he's just, just craving for it. Well, those three people, okay. Guy that had uh, 10,000 10, subscribers has 1.5 million subscribers right now. He has a couple channels that are a couple hundred thousand too. So he is, you know, he's probably a 2 million range, maybe 2.5, okay? Guy that had 5,000 subscribers um, has 10 million, okay? And the 10 million is equated onto four different channels. Uh, I think the biggest one is 5 million subscribers on the, the, the one. Steve has 15 million subscribers. And he has not only benefited his family, on all the channels that they own. I think they own seven now, but he's able to help extended family. And that right there is you want to be like Steve. You want to be that person that's willing to go learn and sometimes work for free to be surrounded by the right people. Because I can tell you this, I can tell you this, anytime Steve's calls, I'll pick up. Now, if I'm busy, I'll text him, say, hey, give me five minutes. Why? Is because we're friends and he's helped me and I've helped him, and we've developed a relationship. And that type of relationship, that type of synergy is far more valuable than a transaction. Then if he would ask for $1,000 to go work a day, I would have probably find somebody for a hundred bucks. You know what I'm saying? It just, it just wouldn't happen. But he says, no, 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 you don't need to pay me. Now, what he didn't know, Steve quit a very lucrative, he had owned a business that he quit just to do YouTube. And he was all in. He was all in, ready to go, and he wanted to learn every single day. So surround yourself by amazing people, uh, people that lift you up, people that push you, people that help you think differently, and really look at being proactive in your your education, your journey of being a student of YouTube. And I know that if you'll do that, you have a higher probability to succeed. And that's where success really rears, is being connected to the right people, helping you at the right time seeing things that you can't see for yourself and being lifted up when you're demotivated. Uh, thanks, Daryl. Can we all give Daryl a round of applause for the talk? But also I think that last that last piece of advice was incredible. Very good. Thank you. Um, absolutely. absolutely. I, I can't concur enough. Luke, who's in the in the chat here, is actually in my private business mastermind group. He's a great friend of mine and 
yeah, definitely helps to lift me up. So thank you, Luke. Daryl, of course, you, you've been a, a, a bit of a mentor to me and really opened up some opportunities for me that have, have been incredible. And I hope we'll get to actually work a bit closer on a project together. Never know. Uh, sometime <laughs> soon. So Mike, Antonio, Ollie, Andrew, who's not on the call, I'll be sending you all a copy of the book for answering, for asking a public question. So uh, if you DM me your, your detail, uh, Antonio, you can donate yours to somebody else if you like. Uh, if you DM me uh, with your address, I'll make sure I pre-order a copy to get to you as soon as it comes out in the UK. Daryl, thank you so, so much. Honestly, like such an inspiration to everyone, including me. And they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but learning from you all the time. So um, yeah, we'll we'll be following your progress. Good luck with the book. I'm, it's already a bestseller, but I hope it goes on to, to do even more. And you are technically a member of the Pro Channel Manager community. You're actually one of the first people to join back when I released the course last year. So um, we hope to see you in the, the community soon. And hopefully this will be part of, uh, you know, what they're always talking about, uh, part of your journey to surrounding yourself with other people, like-minded people that are really, really trying to do something special. And hopefully once locked, lockdown's finished, we'll actually able to have a bit of a meet up in London and, and other parts of the world where there are Absolutely. Kind of communities of, of people. So Daryl, thank you again. I know we've taken much more than your time than we agreed, but um, really appreciate it. For everyone else that was able to come, thanks so much. And best of luck, Daryl. Thanks so much for being here. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Cheers, guys. It was such a pleasure to talk to Daryl. So yeah, another thank you to Daryl. And of course, the incredible members of the Pro Channel Manager community that turned up live. It was our massively attended event. Yeah, just just incredible. I am absolutely dying to get a copy of this book. As I mentioned on the interview, I tried my best to get an advanced kind of press copy, but so top secret and so amazing it is. I haven't actually got to get my hands on it, but do stay tuned uh, to a future episode where no doubt I'll be able to review that in more detail. On that note of future episodes, I have to say that sadly, this is the final episode of this first season of the Pro Channel Manager podcast. It's been incredible. I've had some amazing guests, been able to share some really interesting insights of what I've learned and what I practice being a Pro Channel Manager. And I hope that you've had that same positive experience with a podcast. If you have, please consider still leaving us a review so that more people will find the existing episodes and will be waiting for us when season two starts. And make sure you're subscribed in the podcast app of your choice so that you don't miss season two when it drops. Of course, I have to say a huge, 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 huge thanks to our incredible founding sponsor, VidIQ, who have supported us from before we even launched. They're an incredible company, incredible tool that I would be definitely um, promoting, even if they were sponsored or not. They were absolutely my top recommended tool back in episode 19. Check that out. But also make sure to check out VidIQ and get a free 30-day trial of one of their amazing paid plans by visiting prochannelmanager.com forward slash vidIQ. Thank you, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure bringing this first season. I can't wait to get back for season two. And until then, happy uploading. Laters. Thanks for listening to the Pro Channel Manager Podcast. Happy uploading. And remember, next time you go to publish a video, ask yourself, what would Tom think?